0: Welcome to Oncofarm. I'm your host, John Bazar. I'm a professor of pharmacy practice here at the supporting sponsor of Oncofarm, the Bill Gadden College of Pharmacy. Today here, um, you know, mid-early July 2021, I'm going to get back to one of our um, Foundations of, Onco Par- uh, foundations of Onco Farm series and talk about uh, a drug I alluded to recently on the podcast, is something that would be coming up, which is Cape capecitabine, also known as uh, Zalota or X, or just cape, you know, like what goes around Superman's neck. Not not a, not a sape, but a cape. Uh, we'll go, we'll skip the order here and talk about the mechanism of action because it it's important to understand this for the history behind capesitabine, I think. Uh, so capesitabine is a pro-drug of 5-FU5-fluorouracil. Um, so capesitabine is absorbed uh, from the gut uh, and the blood gets in the liver, uh, or goes to the liver, uh, and then carboxylase esterase carboxyl esterase enzymes in the liver converted to an intermediary which is then converted by cytidine deaminase to another intermediary and cytidine deaminase is involved in, in two steps in this uh well really in this middle step and cytidine, cytidine deaminase uh like carboxyl esterase is in the liver but cytidine deaminase is also in the tumor and the last enzymatic step involves thymid uh, Thymidine phosphorylase, which is in a higher concentration in solid tumor cells, anywhere from three to ten times higher concentration in tumor cells than regular uh, healthy cells. So, the result of this is preferentially uh, more 5FU production in cancer cells than in healthy cells. Now, in colorectal cancer cells, in the colon, uh, this ratio is 3.2 times higher uh, than in healthy cells. Now, in colorectal cancer cells in the liver, there's not uh, a difference. Uh, It's kind of equally proportionate amounts of 5U created in the metastatic cells in the liver, as well as in healthy liver cells. Uh, which maybe explains some of the, uh, the hepatotoxicity you can see with capecitabine uh, in patients with uh, maybe liver mets. Uh, from a historical standpoint, while at least here in the U.S., capecitabine is the only f- uh, 5 fu pro-drug that we use, it's not the first. So the first one was a, a drug called Tigifer, which was, uh, I guess, invented is the word, in 1967. However, it was too neurotoxic for approval here in the good old United States of America. And then there's doxyfluoridine, which I'm thankful didn't make it to market because that would just confuse people with doxorubicin. Doxyfluoridine. uh, was also a prodrug of 5-FU, but one of the the enzymes that converted the prodrug to 5-FU was more prevalent in mucosal cells, and so there was a lot more diarrhea than even capecitabine uh, with doxyfluoridine. Uh, all that, uh, you know, there's, there's a hunt and a search and uh, some research to, fig- to, f- to figure out and find a, a, an oral dosage form that, that will lead to 5-FU, so people don't have to be coming in every day for either infusional 5-FU or be hooked up for, uh, or every day for bolus 5-FU or get infusional 5-FU for long periods of time. You know, there are some old uh, colon cancer regimens where it's like, you know, 5-FU infusion for for months. Um, Capesitabine is much easier than that uh, logistically. So this is approved in 1998. And I was surprised when I saw how many FDA approvals Capesitabine had. And I'm going to put, you know, the over under at four and a half. You tell me well, you can't tell me. But think, ask yourself are there more uh, than four and a half approvals uh, for Cape Cytamine or less? A little, a little over under here. There are less, there are only three. I was shocked, there are only three FDA approvals. Uh, really only two disease states, colon cancer in the adjuvant, and metastatic setting, colorectal cancer, in metastatic setting, and then metastatic breast cancer. Um, but it's used in a whole bunch of cancers, right? So esophageal cancer, gastric cancer, GEJ, junction cancer, cholangio, um, or biliary tract cancer, head and neck cancer, pancreatic neuroendocrine tumors, ovarian cancer, uh, pancreatic cancer, uh, tumor of unknown primary, uh, it's a pretty non, you know, non-specific or broadly um, effective drug for a lot of different types of cancers. As we move into the PK section, pharmacokinetic section, yes, every all the pharmacists are ears are really tuned in now. Uh, 100% bioavailability, um, and it sh- it should be taken within 30 minutes of food. Why? Well, that's the way they did the trials. Is the short answer, uh, taking capsaicin with food does decrease the absorption of capesitabine, but it has no effect on uh, the exposure to 5-FU, You know the active metabolite. So it probably doesn't make a big difference with regard to meals, but uh, for um, the sake of consistency and knowing what we know, uh, we tell patients to take it within 30 meals. It is metabolized uh, or, or broken down by an enzyme called dihydropyridine dehydrogenase or DPD for short. This is the rate limiting breakdown step. Um, by the way, empiric testing for DPD is coming. It's going to be here at some point. Um, um, so, you know, DPD uh, increases the toxicity of 5-FU. We'll talk about what those toxicities are later uh, with, with, uh, with regards to DPD. We'll make sure we re- revisit that. Um, and DPD is not all that common, but if you if you practice long enough, you will definitely see some patients... With dihydropyridine toxicity and the and the severe toxicity it's important to recognize that um you know right away when you see that for a supportive care standpoint and we'll mention what what that is later and there are, you know the the percentage of the population would have dpd is going to be in the single digits you see estimates of sometimes less than one percent sometimes two percent uh it's low but we give a whole bunch of cape so you know you're gonna your patients are gonna be exposed to cape cytobean with DPD deficiency and be at risk of honestly life-threatening toxicity. So it's shocking that we're not there yet empirically testing everybody for it because we, we can know this. It's, it's a known, um, it's something we can, it's a, it's, a, it's a known unknown. We can test for it and know what to do uh, with it or know how to, to manage it, which we don't always know what to do, say, with the dietary implications with capsaicin toxicity which we'll talk about. Uh, Capcitabine, the parent drugs, is uh, excreted uh, 96% in the urine, most of that as metabolites. Uh, so there are dose reductions for real dysfunction and uh, is considered contraindicated by the label with a credit clearance of less than 30. In pharmacy circles, what is gonna be on the boards is not openly discussed. In medicine, it does appear to be openly discussed, and I have heard, you know, physicians talk about this is a classic oncology board's question: is do you do a five FU based regimen or a Cape based regimen for somebody with a creatinine clearance of less than thirty? And you don't do the Cape regimen, where you can get away with a five FU based regimen, five FU based regimen for those folks with a creatinine clearance less than thirty. I don't know if that's true. I've never taken oncology boards, but that's something uh, uh, that is out there. In uh, people talk about. All right. Let's talk about the toxicities here. So probably the dose limiting toxicity of, of capsaicin is hand and foot syndrome. So the, the redness, uh, and on, on the hands and the feet, it's, it's not, for some reason, students think of this as like peripheral neuropathy. You can get some tingling from this, but it's not that it's not, it's not a peripheral neuropathy. It's it's you've lost a couple layers of skin is how I think of it. Uh, so your hands are red from losing a few layers of skin, palms of your hands, soles of your feet. Um, generally the best way uh, to prevent this is to try not to use your hands and feet a, a whole lot um and it happens in about 50 to 60 percent of patients uh, of any grade um diarrhea uh the another incredibly common toxicity of capsaicin. i mean they're all going to have probably some form of diarrhea typically managed with things like loperamide uh and, and lamotil and then photosensitivity uh is one that can happen as well uh and since People are taking caypsodabin for long periods of time. It's not like an IV drug that you get uh, and then you're out of it's out of your system in a day. You're taking this generally for two weeks at a time. Uh, so when when I teach about caypsodabin, I, I have a picture of a actually it's a clip art from like you know Mac Paint or something from like 1997. It's a picture of a golfer, and I say I think of think of golf men when you think of caypsodabin toxicity because the worst thing to happen when you're when you're golfing is probably to be taking caypsodabin because you're on your feet walking around the course. You're using your hands, gripping those clubs. You're out in the sun. And the worst place to have diarrhea is like on on hole 12 when you're nowhere in sight of, of a bathroom. And that being said, I've talked to several patients with metastatic disease who are frequent golfers and are able to golf just fine while on capecitabine. So don't think you can't golf on capecitabine. It's one of the nice things about capecitabine. It's got a very attractive tolerability profile, uh, and patients can tolerate it pretty darn well. It has some mild myelosuppression with it. You you know, you will start to see hemoglobin white count platelets go down, but not too severely, especially if it's just single agent capecitabine. Uh, Just to put this in perspective, the percentage of patients who had an ANC less than a thousand with capecitabine was 2.2% in some of the early colon cancer studies compared to 26% in patients getting 5-FU leucovorin. Um, you will, you know, you'll see maybe their hemoglobin drift down, their MCV should go up, uh, but generally from a, from a myelosuppression standpoint it's pretty well tolerated here. You can see some hyperbilirubinemia uh, associated with this. Uh, there's actually a, a warning and package, package insert about that. And as with 5FU, you, you can see some angina or angina. Uh, the leading theory behind the cause of this is coronary vasospasm. Now coming back to patients with DPD deficiency. The first time these folks receive either 5-E or capecitabine, they will have profound pancytopenia, severe mucositis. The, the patients I've seen with this, it looks like they have been sitting, their lips look like they've been sitting in the sun for hours and hours, and it's blistered, um, you know, bloody mouth, methotrexate-like uh, mucositis, uh, if you've ever, ever seen that, uh, and, 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 and also profuse diarrhea. And it happens pretty quickly. So if somebody gets their first cycle like, well, of okay, they come in for count checks, uh, you know, a week later, two weeks later, and their neutropenic, you know, you've strongly considered the DPD test. And there is an antidote that could be considered for these folks called Vistagard. That's the brand name, uridine triacetate. There is a timeline component that I don't know off the top of my head, but it's something that should be investigated. And certainly... You know, if, if you do DPD testing empirically and then you start treatment and they've already taken a couple doses of capecitabine and then the DPD test comes positive uh, and they have a deficiency depending on how severe it is, uh, you could consider it then uh, as well. There are some drug-drug interactions with capecitabine. It, it appears to be a 2C9 inhibitor uh, as like we think with 5-FU. So there's a drug interaction with warfarin, which I don't use a whole lot anymore in our oncology patients. Phenytoin as well, increased toxicity. And one I was not aware of tell prepping for this podcast is that allopurinol apparently can decrease the conversion of cape to 5-fu although the clinical significance is not really known uh, at this time okay we've gone all this way what are we 10 minutes in and we haven't talked about dosing and we always say that dosing matters so the ft approved dose is 1250 milligrams per meter squared po bid times 14 days of a 21 day cycle that's kind of the standard dose um you know, the, the two weeks, BID for two weeks, one week off. Now, there are some some modifications of that. So, like for anal cancer, it's 825 milligrams per meter squared uh, BID. For uh, gastric cancer, it's like 625 milligrams per meter squared POBID for 21 days of a 21 day cycle. Basically, you take capecitabine every day regardless. Now, in the US, conventionally, we give 1,000 milligrams per meter squared per day POBID. So, about a 20% dose reduction. From the FDA labeled dose Uh, and in fact we have uh, there you know there are data of what is the most commonly prescribed dose Uh, in the US it's a thousand about 60% of patients get a thousand and this is older data that uh, back from 2008 uh, 2007 Uh, in the US only 20% get the FDA approved dose this was more than a decade decade ago at the time you know more than 80% of folks in the UK and Italy uh, in Germany uh, we're getting the FDA-approved dose, uh, slightly lower numbers in Spain and France, interestingly. Um, and the th- theory behind this is there's more toxicity. Well, we know there's more toxicity. That's not theory. We know there's more toxicity in uh, the U.S. than in the rest of the world, especially compared to East Asia. So just to give you some, some numbers here from uh, a multivariate retrospective review of, of several, regist- basically the registry studies, um, for Cape side being published in JCO in, in 2007 or 2008 um, by uh, I think it's Holler and colleagues. Yeah, H-A-L-L-E-R. Uh, if you want to look for that. So here's here's the, the the grade three and four GI toxicity rates. And this so this is nausea, mucositis, diarrhea. Grade three and four. So severe enough hospitalized. Is how I think of this in the metastatic colon cancer population. Grade three four GI toxicity. 24% of patients in the U.S. One in four basically versus 12% in non-U.S., so twice as much. The adjusted risk ratio is 1.7 after they adjusted for some confounders. Uh, if you look in the adjuvant setting, grade three or four hand-foot syndrome, 11% in the U.S., 5% in the rest of the world, 1% in East Asia. So there's, there may be uh, some, some ethnic uh, metabolism differences here, but the leading theory has to do with dietary folate intake. Uh, there are in vitro uh, studies in rats. Rats on a high folate diet had higher uh, you know, 5-FU efficacy and also higher toxicity um, compared to rats on a low folate diet. If you um, look at any uh, granola bar, any loaf of bread uh, that you buy in the grocery store here in the United States, the very first ingredient that you're going to see is enriched flour of some sort. And the enrichment part of that. Is folate, which is great for preventing, you know, neural cord or neural tube defects uh, in, in infants and neonates, uh, but does appear to increase the toxicity. That is the theory, increase the toxicity of capsaicin. A question that comes up, a question that has come up uh, to me uh, personally is, you know, um, my, my relative is taking capsaicin. I've been doing lots of research, and I saw this thing about folates. Should we go to a specialty food store and buy? Um, I don't know, native flour bread or something that does not have any folate in it. And I'm always kind of conflicted with that because I'm assuming the physicians are accounting for the high folate diet here in the States, and they're doing the 1,000 mgm squared in initial dose. So they've already built in, they've already factored in that toxicity in the dose reduction. And if you avoid folate from your diet, it seems likely that you would have less toxicity, but also less efficacy from that as well. So I, I'm always kind of torn with what to do, and um, just as, as a callback to uh, you know, my hope that we will adapt broadly empiric DPD testing before starting people on capecitabine and 5-FU, that's something we can know. At this point, we really don't know if there is an optimal diet to use an optimal dose of capecitabine. It seems like something we should study and figure out, because if we can know that, we can help our patients and, and get better outcomes. So that is capecitabine, I think a sneaky good drug here in oncology uh, from an efficacy standpoint uh, and from a tolerability and toxicity standpoint. Okay, thank you so much for listening. Uh, I'll be back next week with uh, with hopefully some some new updates. Uh, you can follow me on Twitter at PharmDNib and follow the podcast at Pod on both Twitter and Instagram. And until I talk to you again, remember, doses matter. Thank you.